Well, welcome to another day in the Word of God as we continue our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, really excited that you're joining with me again today. If you haven't uh, subscribed to my YouTube channel, please go ahead and do that. My Facebook page, Instagram, like, comment, subscribe, share these videos as much as you can. All the links are in the description below. And let's get this out for as many people to be encouraged by the truth of the Word of God as possible. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, the the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to break it up into two sections uh, because I, I, I want to do each section justice. First, verses 1 to 12 is what we are going to be looking at today. So let's start in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. There's a section that's beginning here where Paul starts to defend his own character and ministry before the Thessalonians. And, and it's not because he was insecure about his ministry, but because he had a lot of enemies in Thessalonica. You can read about them in Acts chapter 17. They discredited uh, Paul, uh, especially because of his hurried departure from Thessalonica. Uh, Paul's enemies basically said that he, he left town because he was a, a coward. And uh, so if you've ever been called that, Paul knows what it's like. And Paul wrote here in a very personal manner, but this really wasn't a personal issue for Paul. He knew that it mattered for the sake of the gospel. If Paul was discredited, then the gospel message itself would be discredited. And Paul's emphatic calling uh, of uh, the Thessalonians to witness did two things. Leon Morris said this, in the first place, it showed his confidence in them. He had no fear they would succumb to the propaganda being put before them. And in the second place, it demonstrated that all the facts required for his vindication were facts of common knowledge. Uh, William Barclay saw the following false charges against Paul uh, and that they were evident from the way that Paul explained himself in this chapter. Number one, Paul had a police record and was therefore untrustworthy. Paul was delusional. Paul's ministry was based on impure motives. Paul deliberately deceived others. Paul preached to please others, not God. Paul is in the ministry as a mercenary to see out of what he can get out of it materially. Paul only wanted personal glory and Paul was a dictator. This, this is... This, this was what was being thrown at him. And uh, he's, it was like he was being treated like a, like, you know, I don't know, a poor marketer. Uh, you know, and, and so really he, he needs to start some, with some establishment of his credentials. Verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Paul reminds the Thessalonians of his ministry in, and sufferings in ministry. And uh, he had been beaten in Philippi before he even came to Thessalonica. Uh, if he was in it for himself, he would never have done that. He would never have come after, after leaving Philippi in such a bad state. Uh, the wounds on his back from Philippi were still fresh when he arrived in Thessalonica. Uh, Acts chapter 16 actually records what actually had happened to him. Uh, you know, he'd had a public flogging. He had his feet in stocks. Uh, 
And he says, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So despite what Paul's accusers said, he didn't only preach the gospel when it was easy or convenient. He knew what it was like to speak boldly for the Lord in the middle of a lot of conflict. Verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. The purity of Paul's message made it apparent that there was no deceit, no uncleanness in his ministry. Now, in the first century world that Paul lived in, uh, there there were so many competing religions, and, and all those religions had their own ministers, and they were all motivated by greed and gain. In fact, they had way more religions than we have today. Uh, David Guzik said this, The city of Thessalonica sat on the Ignatian Way, the famous highway that went east to west through Macedonia. In Thessalonica, you would find the worship of the gods of the the Olympian pantheon, especially Apollo, Athena, and Hercules. There were the native Greek mystery religions, celebrating Dionysus and the sex and drinking cult. The Greek intellectual and philosophical traditions were also represented. There were shrines to many Egyptian gods, Isis, Serapis, Anubis, also present were the Roman state cults that deified the political heroes of Rome. There were also Jewish people and the God-fearing Gentiles. (laughs) That's what was going on. Most of these religions were, were missionary-minded. In, in other words, they, they sent people out. And they sought to spread their faith using evangelists and preachers. No different than Paul, but with their own religion. And most of those missionaries were opportunists, and they took everything they could from their listeners and then moved on to find somebody else that would support them. Verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Uh, Paul used a word here that was associated with approving someone as being fit for public service. He says, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. Paul knew his gospel was not going to be a gospel that was always going to please men. But he knew that it was pleasing to God, and that's all that mattered. Paul tried to make the gospel as attractive as possible, but he never changed the central character of focus. He never compromised issues like sin, man's need, God as a savior, Jesus Christ, the cross, the resurrection, uh, the possibility of a new life. He never messed with any of that. Verse five, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Uh, Paul understood that covetousness, what's that? That's an excessive desire for wealth or material possessions. Covetousness always has a cloak, okay, something to cover it up. It always is concealed by some noble-sounding goal. But Paul didn't use flattering words as a cloak for covetousness. Adam Clark said this, Hear this, ye that preach the gospel, Can ye call God to witness that in preaching it ye have no end in view by your ministry, but his glory in the salvation of souls? Is God witness that in all these things ye have no cloak of covetousness? 
But woe to that man who enters into the labour for the sake of the hire. He knows not Christ, and how can he preach him? Paul is establishing his ministerial credentials right here. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. When Paul ministered amongst the Thessalonians, he, he, he was not concerned about his own personal glory. He didn't need fancy introductions, lavish praise. His satisfaction came purely from his relationship with Jesus, not from the praise of people. He didn't seek glory from men because his needs for security and acceptance were met in Jesus Christ, which meant that he didn't spend his life trying to seek the acceptance or the approval of people. He ministered from an understanding, understanding of his identity being in Jesus Christ, and the only person that mattered was Jesus. And he says, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul was among the Thessalonians to give them something, not to take something. So he didn't come making demands. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Paul was like a nursing mother. What, is, what, what does a nursing mother look to? She only looks to give to her child. Even though some people amongst the Thessalonians accused Paul of ministering out of self-interest, Paul simply asked the Christians in Thessalonica to remember the gentle character of his ministry among them, which is an amazing transformational evidential uh, piece of Paul's character here because he was before Christ, he, was, he would never have been called a gentle character at all. And here he is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the life-changing mission of Jesus Christ. Now he has a gentle character. See, that's what the power of the gospel can do in any one of us. Verse 8. So, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. The sacrifices that Paul endured for the sake of the ministry to the Thessalonians, they weren't a burden. He was actually pleased to do it uh, because Paul was affectionately longing for the Thessalonians because they had become dear to Paul and his associates. Paul's preaching was effective because he gave not only the gospel, but he actually gave of himself as well. Also our own lives, he said. And he gave because of love, you had become dear to us. That's what we need to do. We've got to follow that example. Uh, David Guzik said, you know, it has been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul gave both his care and, and his knowledge to the Thessalonians. Verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toll for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Paul recognized his right to be supported by those he ministered to. Remember, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul says those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But he voluntarily gave up that right to set himself apart from the missionaries of the false religions. And he denied his rights and took a higher standard upon himself. Otherwise, he knew he'd look like a missionary of all the other false religions. He says, no, I'm not doing that. Verse 10. 
You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. It's actually impressive that that Paul could freely appeal to his own life as an example. Because many people say, don't look at my life, don't look at my life. But Paul said, no, look at my life. And as you look at my life, you'll see Jesus because I'm living like Jesus. Paul wanted people to look to Jesus, but he could also tell them to look at his life because the power of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit was evident in his lives. That should be our lives also. It's a worthy and proper goal for any Christian today to live a life that declares how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among other people. That's the kind of life that will draw others to follow Jesus for themselves. Verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul himself lived justly and blamelessly. But he also told the Thessalonians that they should live the same way. And he could tell them that they should walk worthy of God because his life and message were consistent. There was no inconsistency between the message he was preaching and the life he was living. And I think that's one of the massive observations of this first half of this chapter is that there are too many people who are happy to share the message of Jesus, but their lives don't reflect the change that should come from living the message of Jesus. That's what we're meant to do. We're, we're, Paul's saying to these, these, the, the, these new Christians in Thessalonica, it's not good enough for you just to know what I'm teaching you. You have to let it change you and have a walk worthy of God. You and I must examine our walk every single day. Now, it doesn't matter if people attack your character. You and I are going to have people attacking our character probably for the rest of our natural lives. And it's okay to make a statement of defense like Paul did and defend your character. But you can't take vengeance into your own hands. And you can't let that stop you being an example of Christ. So you and I have to navigate that. That's what we have to observe out of this. How, if we're being attacked, okay, make a defense, but don't take vengeance. Make sure that your walk and my walk, we should make sure that our walk is worthy of God. Make sure that we can say to people, yeah, you can look to me. Hey, see how I act? You should do the same. Instead of us kind of having some fake nobility of like, no, don't look at me. Don't look at you. You don't want to look at me. Just look at Jesus. This is a consistent message all through Thessalonians. Remember that this is about maturing as a disciple. You and I are not meant to ever stay in the same place as Christ followers. We're always meant to be moving on, always. And a, 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 a follower becomes a disciple through the act of discipline. That's the difference between a follower and a disciple. It's discipline. That's it. Discipline to do what you are told to do. And that's what Paul says. The only way you can have a walk worthy of God is do what the word of God says. Simple, isn't it? There you go. It's all wrapped up in a little bow. Boom, mic drop. Nuggetville, hope you enjoyed. 
Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to always understand that it's our responsibility to live lives worthy of what you've done for us. God, I thank you, Lord, for the people who are watching this today, and maybe their, their character has been assassinated. Maybe things have been said about them that are unfair. Give them the, 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 the humble way of, of defending themselves. But God, I pray, Lord, that they would not take vengeance into their own hands, but understand that they should live as an example of Christ, even to those who have slandered them and been mean and horrible to them. I pray that they would live a life of Christ that is an example to those people that would make them want to become Christians themselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.